Good morning. I want to, I want to thank uh, Pastor Cody and Pastor Justin for giving me the opportunity to bring the Word of God to my church family this morning and to our guest here today. Um, when Cody reached out to me and asked if, uh, if I you know, would like to, to preach, and uh, he, he gave me the opportunity to choose my own scripture if I wanted, or he told me I could continue on with our series in Leviticus. So if you would... Turning your Bibles to Ephesians, <laughs> uh, chapter 6, we'll be looking this morning at verses 10 through 13, but while you're turning there, I'd like to tell you a little about a woman who is dubbed as America's greatest miser. Hetty Green was her name. Hetty was so cheap, she wouldn't even pay attention. Hetty died in 1916 with an estate valued at $100 million in 1916. She ate cold oatmeal to avoid the cost of warming it. After an accident, her son's leg had to be amputated because she took too long searching for a free clinic. She hastened her own death by bringing on a stroke while arguing the merits of skim milk because it was cheaper than whole milk. Unfortunately, Hetty Green is an illustration of too many Christian believers today. Christians can often be prone to treat their spiritual resources much like Hetty Green treated her financial resources. A Christian has limitless wealth at their disposal, and yet they live as if they are bankrupt. If we do not take advantage of the great storehouses of spiritual nourishment and resources, that are at our disposal, we are in danger of suffering from spiritual malnutrition and defeat by our adversaries. It was to this kind of Christian that Paul wrote the epistle to the Ephesians. And since we'll be looking at the last chapter of Ephesians, I must give a brief summary of what was written prior to the verses we'll be looking at today. Of course, the author is Paul. And it is believed that he writes this epistle from prison in a cell in Rome. The year is somewhere around 54 to 57 AD. The first three chapters are theological, emphasizing the New Testament doctrines, where the last three chapters are practical and focused on Christians' behavior. Perhaps above all, this is a letter of encouragement and caution written to remind believers of their immeasurable blessings in Christ. And not only to be thankful for those blessings, but also how to live in a manner worthy of them. In chapters 1 through chapters 3, verse 13, Paul writes about what he calls the mystery of Christ and discloses many blessings we have in Christ. Predestination, redemption, inheritance, resources, new life, and unity. These are the blessings that every believer in Christ has. Also in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, we find a beautiful prayer from Paul. He's asking God to grant them the ability to know the immeasurable debt of the love of Christ. And if you are a Christ follower, uh, then I just want to encourage you 
in this moment. So if you find yourself where you are just in a place where you're feeling beat down because of the troubles of this world, read chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians. And just be reminded of those glorious blessings and, and the immeasurable love that Christ has for you. In chapter 4, we, we find God's plan for faithful living. Um, in the church, followed by how Christ equips and builds the church. And he closes out chapter 4 by relaying God's pattern and principles for members of the church. And that is followed in chapter 5 with God's standards for faithfulness in the church um, body. Then the rest of chapter 5 and all the way to chapter 6, verse 9, he reveals God's standard for authority and submission that includes the Christian home. Husband and wives, parents and children, and then he goes outside the home uh, with employers and employees. So, the standard has been set. The standards for personal life, for life in the fellowship of the Christian community, and in the more intimate circle of the home. Yet Paul still wants to remind his readers that such a life cannot be lived without a spiritual battle. So, finally, we come to our text where Paul reveals the believer's warfare. Listen, the true Christian that's described in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, who lives in the faithful life described in chapter 4 through chapter 6, 9, can be sure they will be involved in spiritual warfare. That warfare is described in the text we'll be looking at this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Paul writes, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand. So if you look at these verses and you want to sum them up, what is the main point? I think it's like this. The rulers of darkness scheme against the children of God. But God doesn't leave his children defenseless. However, the child of God must apply the protections the father has provided in order to withstand the attacks. So here's a little litmus test for the Christian. Are you in a spiritual battle? If not now, has it been recent? Is your battle or battles daily? You see, when a person becomes a Christ follower, meaning God has opened their eyes to the truth that they are a sinner and they have confessed and put their trust in in the finished work of Christ on the cross, the Bible tells tells us they are born again and become part of the kingdom of God. And now we see that in scriptures. We see it in 1 Peter 1, verses 22 and 23. 
Peter writes, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit and sincere love for the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then in a popular, well-known verse, chapter 3 of John, verse 3, this is Jesus speaking in Nicodemus says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And, And what we need to understand is this. Yes, when a person is born into the kingdom of God, their eternity is sealed. But we also need to understand that we are born onto a battlefield that we will never leave until God calls us home. The battle will never cease. It doesn't mean the intensity of it will never change. It means there will always be a battle. And we're not up against just one enemy. We battle with our own flesh, meaning our our own will to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, no matter whom it hurts or how it affects them. We battle with the world and all its temptations. They're self-pleasing. And we also battle with the forces of evil. And that's what Paul is referring to here. And the truth is, even prior to salvation, Christian, you were in the war. However, you were just a pawn in the masses of God's enemies. And until God rescued you, you were too blind to see the war that was raging. Now, if you're a Christian who's been feeding on milk your whole Christian life, your walk with Christ is stagnant, then more than likely you're still blind to the reality of spiritual warfare and just how vulnerable you are to the enemy. So really the Christian litmus test was a a trick question. The question is not, are you in a battle? The question is, do you realize you're in a battle? And perhaps a better question is, do you understand? Do you understand the seriousness of this battle? If we're walking worthy of our calling and humility rather than pride, and unity rather than divisiveness, and submission rather than self-serving independence, and a new self rather than the old self, then you can be absolutely certain you will have opposition. The Christian who has little or no experience in spiritual warfare, which no longer struggles against the world, the flesh, and the devil, is a Christian who has fallen into, at a minimum, sinful complacency. And that means Satan, listen, he's satisfied with where you are in your Christian walk. And he sees you as no threat possibly even as a means to prevail against others. I know spiritual warfare is not a popular topic in most churches today. I believe that's because it's about Satan and darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness. And, you know, there's not a lot that we know about it. And, and, you know, there's some that we just can't explain. However, we must not stick our heads in the, stand, in the sand about it. 
Spiritual warfare is an issue we must recognize and deal with as Christians because we deal with it almost on a daily basis. Trust me, this is not an issue where ignorance is bliss. It is a place where Satan kills, steals, and destroys. And unless you have the knowledge and the faith to combat it, you will fall to the schemes of the devil over and over again. As Christians, we must learn not only how to equip ourselves, but we also must recognize the schemes and the schemer. So let's dive into the text and look at God's encouragement and warning. And the first thing we see, point one, the Lord is our strength. Okay, I realize it took a long road to get to that first point, um, but we'll get to the second one much quicker, Lord willing. Let's look at verse 10. Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The key reality presented in Ephesians is that as believers, we are in Christ and one with him. His life is our life. His power is our power. His truth is our truth. His way is our way. And Paul goes on to say here, his might or his strength is our strength. The word used here um, for might means to be empowered, and it's used in the, presence, in the present tense. So it means to be continually empowered. Paul is referring to divine empowerment for the believer. Let me show you what he's talking about here. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, this is Paul praying for the Christians in Ephesus. He prays that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he had worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, I want you to notice here that Paul does not pay, uh, pray that his fellow believers be given power. He prays that they be given a divine awareness of the power that they possess in Christ. God has allowed us the authority to utilize his power. Power and authority are not the same thing. Authority is the power that is imparted in a situation or in a circumstance. Let me give you an illustration. Think about a traffic cop. Okay? A policeman can stand in front of oncoming traffic and put his hand up, and a moving vehicle will come to a stop. Most of the time. Hopefully. There is no power in his hand that can stop a moving vehicle. I mean, I'm not talking about Iron Man here. I'm talking about just a a regular guy. What stops the traffic? His power or his authority? Yeah. The policeman doesn't rely on the power in his hand. It's not sufficient enough to stop a moving vehicle. He relies on the authority given to him as a policeman. We must trust and rely on the power of God if we expect to have victory over our adversaries. 
But we can only exercise this authority when we are walking in obedience. God is not going to allow us to exercise divine authority if we are living in the flesh, living in disobedience to God. Appropriation of that strength comes through the means of grace, prayer, knowledge of, and obedience to the word and faith in the promises of God. All the resources a Christian needs are drawn from Christ and his mighty power. The second thing we discover, the Lord is our provider. Praise God. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. Paul was probably chained to a Roman soldier when he wrote this letter. And looking at the soldier's army, he he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to see the analogy of God's spiritual provision for our battle with Satan and his demonic forces. But it may be just, it wasn't just the soldier alone that the Spirit used. Maybe Paul, who we know knew the scriptures very well, was reminded of the words from Isaiah in chapter 59, verses 16 and 17. Listen, he said, He saw that there was a man, no man, and wondered that there was no intercession. Therefore, his, his arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. The armor, at least in part, was already mentioned in the scripture. So then Paul takes it and expounds on it to give, to give us a picture of the full armor and the full protection that God has provided. I do find it interesting, though, that, that Paul mentions the armor without first describing the armor. So let me kind of divert here. I have to uh, for just a minute, and I'll give a brief, and I do mean brief, um, description of the armor. I can't preach these verses without doing that. Paul begins his discussion of the armor of God, listen, stating that the believer's ability to stand firm is rooted in these pieces of armor. Therefore, I want to implore you to study these passages in more depth in your own time. It is crucial for the believer. The first piece he mentions is the truth girding their, their waist in the role of a belt. Believers are to have the truth wrapped around them, ensuring that everything in their lives is held together in and by truth. Paul continues with the second piece of armor, the breastplate of righteousness. Because righteousness or holiness is, a, is a, such a distinctive characteristic of God himself, it's easy to understand why it is the Christian's chief protection against Satan and his schemes. Paul provides the third piece of armor by stating that the ones who will stand firm will have their feet ready, for they will be shod in the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace pertains to the good news that through Christ, believers are at peace with God. And what are the feet used for? Going, right? Moving forward. And that's what we are to do. To go, to move forward, to share the gospel with others. Again, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. 
How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. The fourth piece is the shield of faith. The believer's continual trust in God's word and and promise is, is above all absolutely necessary to protect him or her from the temptations of every sort of sin. The fifth piece is the helmet of salvation. Saving grace is to serve as protection for the believer. Since Satan seeks to destroy a believer's assurance of salvation with his weapons of doubt and discouragement, the believer must be confident in his or her status in Christ. And finally, the sixth piece of armor, the sword of the Spirit. Through the Spirit's power, the believer is to fight back against the attacks of Satan by declaring the truths of God, especially the gospel message. Okay, back to our text. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the the wiles or the schemes of the devil. I want you to notice something here. We see the words stand firm used. The words when used in a military sense had the idea of holding a critical position, holding a critical position while you're being attacked. Notice it doesn't say that you will be able to fight. God doesn't call us to fight the devil on our own. He wants us to be strong and to stand firm on his word and the power of his might. When I, when I read that we must stand firm, my mind goes again to the feet and how they are to be shod with the gospel of peace, which again represents our peace with God. Think about that. Think about that. While in the midst of an attack, we can stand firm because we have peace with God and we have the peace of God. Peace in the midst of an attack. What is required if you're going to plan an attack? You're going to want to know your enemy, right? I mean, you're going to want to know what their weaknesses are, and that's where you're going to attack. We must realize that our enemy knows us very well. Probably a lot of times better than we know ourselves. Sometimes our hearts can become calloused to our sins, so so we no longer, longer recognize it as such. So if you want to know where you're weak at in your walk with Christ, just look where you keep getting attacked over and over again. The methods or schemes used by our enemy will include, or include doubts that are placed in the believer's minds to lead them away from their trust and their holy and loving father. They include temptations of God's children to immorality, worldliness, pride, self-reliance, and self-satisfaction. Let's look at verse 12 to see who it is that attacks us. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Clearly, 
our adversaries are a super strong, supernatural enemy. That's point three. Paul is reminding us that our struggle is not ultimately with our fellow man, but with Satan and a whole host of demon subordinates. Rulers, powers, world forces of darkness, and the spiritual forces of witnesses, uh, wickedness describe the different levels and rankings of those demons and the evil supernatural empire in which they operate. Paul's purpose is not to explain the details of demonic hierarchy, but to give us some kind of idea of its sophistication and its power. Listen, dealing with demons in a Christian's life is not a matter of finding the technique to send them away, but of being committed and pursuing righteousness through the obedience, seeking to be made more like Christ while keeping in mind that Christ alone is our only security. He is our only safety. But here's the thing. If we're going to be strong and stand firm, we have got to recognize our own weaknesses. Paul declared three times, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should leave me, or that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do not deceive yourself into thinking that your weaknesses are petty. It's easy, especially for the church and our culture, to be complacent and become oblivious to the seriousness of the battle around them. They rejoice in victories that involve no battles. But make no mistake, even the most willing and eager Christian is helpless without God's provision. The warning Paul is giving here is not take up the armor of God in case you're attacked. No, it's take up the armor of God because you will be attacked. Let me ask you, under what, under, uh, under what other circumstances, knowing that you're going to be attacked, would you choose not to use what's readily available to protect yourself? Under what other circumstances? You wouldn't walk through an active battlefield without some type of protection. So why would you walk through a spiritual battle every day of your life without what God has provided and implored you to take up and to put on? This leads us to the final point. Do everything to stand firm. Verse 13, Therefore take up the full armor of God that you may resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. The passage said that you may resist in the evil day. Well, what is the evil day? Every day since the fall when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. It has been an evil day for mankind and it will and every day will continue to be an evil day until Satan and his demonic forces are thrown into the bottomless pit. In the meantime, the Lord makes us able to resist the evil day 
as we take advantage of the armor he supplies. Years ago, in my early walk with the Lord, I had a bumper sticker on my truck that said, Real men love Jesus. Now, as cheesy as that might sound, it is a most profound truth. I came across that sticker at a time when I was discovering that the Christian walk isn't just about going to church and saying the right words and and trying to be a good person. I was discovering it was about loving God and hating my sin. I I was realizing the vast difference between the world's definition and God's definition of a man. I was discovering that the Christian walk was about trusting Christ. Not only in my salvation, but in every aspect of my life. And one cannot do that without being obedient to his word. God tells you to take up and put on the full armor of God. Again, look at the last part of verse 13. Having done all to stand firm. And so here's the question. Are you doing everything to stand firm? Are you doing everything to make sure that when that day comes, and it will come, when you are under a malicious attack, have you done everything? Have you prepared yourself and positioned yourself to be able to stand firm? Are you going to are you doing everything to stand firm in your daily walk? Look, the armor of God is the daily clothing of a Christian. It is what we wear as we walk through this life following Christ. Are you fully suited up? Are you fully suited up? Or are you leaving areas in your life unprotected? Look, we may be on the battlefield, church, but praise God, the Christian does not have to rely on his own strength. The first thing that Paul says when addressing this subject is be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That was the first point in the sermon. The enemy is no match for an omnipotent God of the universe. It's his power, his strength that we must trust in. And the armor that he provides is to protect you. Understand that. As a Christ follower, you are his child. He's your father. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. And so think about it. I mean, if your earthly father goes to the extreme to protect his child, Imagine the lengths your heavenly father, whose depth of love is just inconceivable. Think about the extremes he goes to to protect his child against his enemy. The enemy is cunning, deceitful, powerful, sophisticated, 
Therefore, we must be obedient. Heed the warning. Heed the warning. Take up the armor of God. He has so graciously provided you with protection. Why would you not take it up? The consequences of not doing so can result in physical, emotional, and spiritual defeat. God has already given us the ultimate victory in Christ Jesus. Why would we choose to live in defeat? There's another consequence. And I will close with this. Think about Hetty Green and all the financial resources she had. All the good. Think of all the good it could have been used for. Think of the number of lives it could have changed if she had just used the resources that were at her disposal. What a waste of resources. What a tragedy. Now, think about that one specific piece of armor. The feet shod with the gospel of peace. The good news that through Christ, believers are at peace with God. The good news we are called to take to a lost and dying world. And if Christians don't, if we, if we don't, then which is the greater waste of resources? Which is the greatest tragedy? You see, God's provisions are not solely for our benefit, but even extend to those who have no hope. So that they may have hope. So that they may have peace with God. And all for the purpose of God's glory. Let's pray. Father God, we just uh, thank you. I thank you, God, that I can look into the scriptures and read that you are my father and you love me with a love that is so deep I can't even understand its depth. And it is through that love, God, that you protect us. But, oh, Father, help us. Help us to be obedient. The protections are there. You've laid them out. They're in your word. You give us our, the word and you tell us to study, to meditate, to absorb it, and to live it out. Oh, God, help us. Help us to do that. Because I'm not sure we all realize the, serious, the seriousness of the battle that we're in. It can seem like it's not serious. Oh, but God, your word tells us just how dreadful and serious it can be. It, don't, it not only affects our lives, but it affects the lives of others. When we are disobedient, we hurt others. When we are disobedient, we don't share the gospel. When we are disobedient, we don't glorify your name. 
So God, I pray for conviction. Convict us, Father, where we have not picked up the armor. Forgive us, Father, where we have left areas unprotected in our lives. Forgive us, Father, for not sharing the message of hope. The message that every believer can have peace with you. Pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Church, would you join me in showing your appreciation for our brother Brad and his gifts? Um, Man, that's an incredible word. It's an incredible, convicting word, and I thank you for your gifts. Man, I just um, am incredibly blessed. You know, my mom, every morning before she dropped us off at school, would would, would pray over us the number six blessing. That we've been, may the Lord bless you and keep you blessing, we've been looking at Aaron's blessing, and also would have us put on the armor of God. And as a, um, as a, you know, 10 year old, 12 year old, 14 year old, uh, at some point, I think it just became words to me. Um, And I didn't really think about the effect. Uh, And I I struggled with that um, uh, because I also, remember seeing how many movies I've seen where armor doesn't really make a difference, right? I mean, how many battle uh, scenes have we watched in film where everybody's armored up and um, and they all still die uh, and get hit. And yet I remember vividly one day wrestling with something like this and then I was at baseball practice and uh, JV baseball team and um, uh, a fastball slipped from one of my actually dear friends and caught me in the head. Uh, but I happened to be wearing a helmet. Um, some of you are just about to think that explains so much. But I was wearing... <laughs> I was wearing a helmet, um, and I remember, you know, armor might not mean that much to you unless you recognize that you are in protection, <laughs> that you need protection, and I think that's the same with us. If you don't recognize the battle that you're facing, then the armor is not going to be very important to you, but when you recognize daily that you are not only in a battle, but your flesh actually wants to abandon the side that you're on and go join the other squad. That's when you understand that not only is the, the armor that's gifted you, the, the fight that you're in gifted to you, uh, but the one that's holding you is the king of the army. And he's actually already won the battle for your behalf. There's no advancement for the enemy because it's already done. Then how much more would you desire to fight? And I think that's what um, my brother's heart is, certainly, as we've heard. And I think it should be our hearts as Christians. Is uh, We typically think that because we, we don't believe that we're really in a battle, or because we believe the battle's already been won, that we don't have a place to fight. But Christian, friend, absolutely the means by which the Lord is continuing to win this battle is by your fighting, <laughs> putting on the armor, and fighting and resting and trusting in the king who has promised victory and who has already accomplished victory. So may we be a people that reflect that and see that. And so um, at the time of our invitation, if you're here this morning and, and maybe, maybe that's just a struggle for you, maybe you are, are wrestling in a spiritual battle right now, maybe you're being attacked and you feel it, you, you experience it, you're wrestling with it, you feel the, um, what you believe to be resting and trusting in being deconstructed or, or about to give way and, and you want encouragement, then, then we have encouragement to offer um, 
the business meeting will wait. We'll be here as long as it takes to do work. Um, we have men who will be down front who would love to speak with you about what's going on in your life. But maybe you're here this morning. You didn't even know there's a battle going on, uh, much less that you're being attacked. Um, let me just quickly share with you what we believe. We believe that God created this world and everything in it. Um, and therefore, he owns it. He rules it. He governs it as he pleases because it's his. You are a creation that has been placed in a created world. Uh, but the world that you've been placed in is broken, and it's broken because of the created order rebelling against the creator and worshiping the creation instead of the one who we were created to worship, our God and Father. And because of that, uh, that, that's what we call sin. It's rejecting God's good and righteous design and making a design of our own. And we all do it. We all live in it. We all desire it. And um, we all must recognize that if we continue to live a life uh, that is in rebellion of our creator, one day we will meet this creator. And as the, the ruler of his world, we will be faced with the consequences of our rejection and rebellion against him. Um, and he has determined that that consequence is death, not only just physical death we experience here, but a separation from him, an inability to be able to worship him. And, and apart from someone fighting the battle on our behalf, saving us, rescuing us, we would face our creator in our own sins and we would stand guilty. And we would be faced with the punishment that we so richly and rightly deserve. But because of the goodness of our creator and our God, he determined, even before the beginning of the time, that he was going to send a rescue mission for his people through his son, Jesus Christ. That he would enter into the sinful world of his people, fully God, fully man, and take upon himself the wrath which we deserved in our sins. And not only that, but give us the gift of his righteousness that we could never earn deserve. So that by placing our faith, trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we can now come to our Father, the creator of this world. We can stand firm in front of him knowing that he sees us not as sinners in need of justice. He sees us as those who have been purchased by the righteousness of his Son. And we can come to him and call him Abba, Father. And not only that, we become, we become heirs to the inheritance of his kingdom. That he's purchased for us. That only comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with him, you've never repented or turned away from your sins and placed your work, uh, placed your, your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, then today, today can be that day for you. All you have to do is after our service, at the time of dismissal, please come down, talk to myself, Brother Brock or Brother Justin. We'd love the opportunity to share Christ with you. Um, so if you're here today, please don't leave today without knowing where you stand in that battle.